Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com, and welcome to the second part of a two-part interview with John Stroyfurt, Deputy Chief Information Officer and Chief Information Security Officer at the State Department. In the first part, we discussed the department's innovative risk scoring program, which daily scans states' worldwide networks and systems, pinpointing and correcting the worst vulnerabilities. Now we'll pick up our conversation with my question about the consensus audit guidelines, which defines the most critical security controls aimed at protecting federal IT. We recently spoke with John Gilgan, the former Air Force CIO, who's a major force behind getting organizations to adopt the 20 critical controls of IT security. He said the State Department is doing a wonderful job in taking the controls and mapping them against actual attacks. Can you please share with us some of the findings of those tests? We, of course, appreciate the John Gilligan, a person of his experience, that would make those positive comments about the Department of State. In fact, it was really the conversations with he and one of his colleagues, uh, Alan Pollard, that have been sponsoring the evaluation of the 20 most important controls that got us thinking here at the State Department. When the consensus audit guidelines or 20 most important uh, controls were in circulation among a number of the cabinet departments and security organizations of the government, we began asking the question at the State Department whether or not we could actually assess whether those 20 categories matched up and how they matched up against the attacks that the State Department was documenting through its incident reporting program to the Department of Homeland Security. As many of your listeners may know, there's a requirement out of the various cabinet departments to report these incidents to the Department of Homeland Security. So what we did at the State Department here was to go through a uh, automated uh, registry of all of the reports that we had made to the Department of Homeland Security over an 11-month period where the records were automated and began a record-by-record, incident-by-incident comparison against the definitions of these 20 most important controls. And what we found was that as we looked through the unclassified incidents that we can most readily talk about here, that some 6% of our reported incidents matched up against the consensus audit guideline category number one, the inventory of authorized and unauthorized hardware control family. Some 6% were reported problems in hardware. Some 22% of our problems were recorded in the unauthorized software category number two. We found approximately 7% of the incidents were related to boundary defense and the overwhelming majority at an estimated 60% of the problems that we were recording and reporting forward to Homeland Security were anti-malware defenses, category number 12. We had other passing evidence and problems with access based on the need to know and data leakage protection, but across these handful of categories I've just named, we have a strong degree of confidence that these 20 most important control categories that John Gilligan has uh, urged the federal government to consider represent and match up well with the kinds of attacks that we're currently experiencing. We actually began that analysis wanting to begin a conversation with the Office of Inspector General that over sees our annual security reviews to see whether we could prearrange and advance a study of those particular sub-areas which were a greatest problem to the Department of State. And when our Office of Inspector General of Technology Audits asked me that question, can you prove where you're being attacked, then we uh, gathered this data that I just mentioned. So I think what when we stand back from John Gilligan's recommendations and those that Alan Poller has been making and the various colleagues that have been looking at this, that we know that are very certain 
certainly problems that state departments experience as to be any guide are in precisely the categories that they're urging us to concentrate on. So what have you done to, for example, reduce malware? As we now know and confirm what we already know, that malware was a, a problem that we were facing by the incident reporting. We then can speak to our managers, can assess that subcategory of our virus-related status and know that when we have potentially outdated virus profiles, that in fact our energies to correct and make sure that the virus profiles are up to date is energy well placed. I think what we would offer, standing back from our current point totals, you know, we've set up for the risk score management program that over time, if problems increased, let's say, in the anti-malware or the antivirus level, that we could, in concert with others in the federal government, and if the OMB were to uh, consider and adopt this approach, to increase the risk points that are associated with a particular category as the security field evolves. And so we now assign, I believe it's six risk points for any profile that is older than five days, even though our operational target, you know, seeks to have nothing older than 24 hours, but it could perhaps be that the penalty points for signature files that are beyond a certain threshold would be increased. How are points as a motivator for the staff and how do they react to it? The factors that I would tell you, now having worked on uh, these two pilots at the Agency for International Development and uh, the State Department, is that one of the uh, strongest underlying factors is that the people that are receiving these assessments of points at risk want to have a strong degree of confidence that points that are charged against them are actually a true reflection of a problem that they can take care of. And overwhelmingly, both at the State Department and the active mode of the past 11 months and earlier at the Agency for International Development, if there is a known vulnerability problem or a configuration management problem, the security professionals and systems administrators, by their actions, are demonstrating to taking on a personal responsibility to fix them. What we have found over time, after we identify an owner for every device connected to the network, and that's a very important foundation problem, that there are some issues that are security-related that a local manager cannot fix. And so an adjustment we made responding to your question of the reaction to these grades back in the March uh, 2009, uh, we found a particular application at headquarters that due to funding issues was using an outdated version of a Java client in an application. And in fact, the local managers at our embassies could not fix this because the responsibility was the system owner at headquarters. So we, across the board, shifted the risk from the embassies where the Java client was being used in a particular application to the system owner back in Washington. The users at the State Department, when they saw that action on the part that the CIO and in my role as the Chief Information Security Officer took, to assure that the scoring was fair, the credibility for the program was strengthened, and the willingness to work on those things that were under their control to fix was positively reinforced. Our end results show that we've been able to respond to those concerns where the point totals may not be judged to be fairly assigned to individuals, and we've not forgotten about the risk, but rather picked it up and assigned it to others in the Department of State who then have the responsibility collectively to improve some application for the benefit of everyone. Are there any penalties associated with not having a high grade? What has occurred at both locations, uh, in the case of the Agency for International Development that has 8,000 people for their pilot activities began five years ago in the State Department, 
when the information is supplied, the overwhelming majority, all but a tiny handful of the organization is able to bring their scores into the acceptable range. For the handful of organizations that are still facing the F and the D grades, what's occurred in both locations is that the attention of the senior managers then focuses on some of the causes why problems are occurring at a particular location. In the end, one of the most effective mechanisms that's been applied to reduce the overall risk has been the peer pressure and the encouragement course, what we know of all merit-based processes in the government that are taken into effect for promotion, that those individuals that score highly in categories are most advantaged to be promoted, and I think that this is an implicit message that the entire organization understands. What I would comment on was involved in a business process re-engineering training program during the time that Vice President Gore was promoting the improvement of government services, and in the course of some of that training with Michael Hammer, uh, who then uh, worked at MIT, he talked about change occurring, and there was an event that I, I remember from the course where two brothers were running a business, and one brother saw the very serious threat to the business model against which the corporation ran and would necessarily succeed on, and he pushed very hard to change the business model for not only the vitality of the corporation, but the continued jobs and livelihood of the members that were in that corporation. But one of the steps along the way was that the one brother, unfortunately, had to fire uh, his sibling from the company in order to bring about the business change. And when Michael Hammer interviewed the gentleman that ultimately succeeded in changing the company and allowing the company to survive profitably. Michael Hammer asked him, what would you attribute to your success to? And his response was an understanding that I needed to carry the wounded and shoot the resistors. And so I've long remembered that particular lesson as far as change is concerned and the principal approach that the foreign affairs community has taken and currently uh, is being employed at the State Department is that those organizations that are scoring D and F, it's our responsibility to try to carry them to a higher level with, of course, security being only as good as the weakest link. And that approach has, has served us well. And over time, those problem areas are, are cleared up to the benefit of everyone. Well, thank you, John. Glad to do it. I've been talking with John Stroyford, Deputy Chief Information Officer and Chief Information Security Officer at the State Department for GovInfoSecurity.com and the Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.